Hi, welcome to Botanical, a podcast about California native plants. And I'm your host, Matt Markier. And today we'll be taking a look at Molenbergia riggans, a name which I think J.K. Rowling really missed out on giving to one of the professors at Hogwarts. And I think also begs the question uh, in this line of thought, is it Molenbergia or is it Molenbergia? <laughs> but beyond all that, um, Molenbergia riggans is more commonly known as deer grass, and it is as the name implies, a grass. It's in the Poaceae family. And it's more specifically in the bunch grass are the tussock. And I far prefer tussock. I wish this is a more common word in just common parlance. Just fun to say. And what really that just means is it seems like it's just another word. Um, well, specifically a word for mounding grasses or grasses that bunch up. Um, but also hummock or like a knoll, something that just kind of looks like a small mound. Um, the hummock is a little bit more specialized, but also I think it's just great words. Tussock, hummock, you know, makes me just think of I'm swaying in a hammock, which hopefully, you know, you're out there in your backyard, swaying your hammock, relaxing, listening to this episode, getting psyched on deer grass, which you should because deer grass is pretty dang cool. And we'll get into all that makes this plant remarkable after the break. <music> grass and no it doesn't look like a topiary grass in the shape of a deer although that would be fantastic it is instead a about three to four foot tall grass it can be five foot when it blooms and that is in the springtime and it grows it'll be about four feet wide it is, as previously said, it grows in a mound, or it kind of bunches up, and this is due to the fact that all the leaves are are basil, and that pretty much just means, the way I like to break it down, it's just, they come from the base, so they're all just coming from the base, they kind of shoot out, you can think of it more as like the hairs from your head, they're coming out from a single source, they're all coming out and just spreading out, and in fact, they kind of look like heads of hair just popping out of the earth with this yellowish green color. The leaves are, are relatively narrow and they're not super sharp. There are some spiky parts to it, but overall the plant is not really rough or, um, or sharp. And the leaves provide a nice silvery brown to occasionally an ill-defined purple color that's really pretty to look at. Um, and just to kind of get more into the shape, just kind of um, think of it as almost like a... The other way you can think of it is like a sprinkler, um, an inverted sprinkler, rather than water providing sustenance for your grass grass is being fed into <laughs> your lawn of water if you want to get surreal about it but let's get into the basics of what this plant is so it is generally a full sun plant it can take uh, part shade and it does perfectly fine in that um, but it will splendor in the full sun 
um, just as any good Californian. And it still will grow in full shade, actually. It just grows a lot slower. Um, but overall, it is a very fast grower. It is evergreen, so you never have to worry about it going dormant. And it is typical of the Western US. This is a plant that, although it is in, native to California, you will find it in any tall grass prairie across the Western United States as a general rule. And on that, it is also part of the largest warm season grass family. And that is um, the bunch grass family or the tussock family, like I had mentioned. And it is probably the easiest to grow of any native grass in California. And partially that is why it is such a common plant to see. When I first learned about this plant, I was like, wow, this is such a cool plant. And I even fashioned the interests of taking its name as a nickname of mine, which is a tendency I have for some reason, trying to give myself nicknames. Although I hope you agree with me that deer grass is just, it's just a cool name. It'd be a cool band name. But anyway, it is more than just an ornamental. It's more than just a cool native to have in your garden. There are actually a lot of reasons why it is so commonplace in our urban landscapes um, and also in, nat in natural landscapes. But going into this, um, there's been research showing that it can actually handle more salt um, than other plants, and which means that it actually can take pretty un pretty much untreated wastewater. Um, so this is a plant that, you know, especially going into the future, may be really important because we don't have to really worry about the quality of water as much. And we can start planting gardens, our financial spaces around different types of wastewater that we can give them. And deer grass is one that's very forgiving, kind of just takes what it can get and is happy about it. In addition to all this as well, in early 2000s, PG&E used deer grass um, along powerline corridors, and they tried to establish just large habitats of deer grass, which honestly, that's, I'm not actually sure what their intention was. I think they're probably just trying to get an easy to grow plant um, that was native. And this is, of course, I should say, this is in California. As far as my knowledge, they only tried this in California. Um, and that's because of, um, which is interesting for a lot of reasons, which I'll get to in a little bit, but let's get into why actually creating a lot of habitat with deergrass is significant. Um, and let's kind of go into the name real quick. So deergrass, um, I already kind of joked about it, you know, about topiary, but in fact, um, it's called deergrass because it's not, it's not necessarily fodder for deer, but rather it provides um, protection for the, the mule deer during the fawning period. So they use it as shelter and almost kind of like as like a, temporary home of sorts um, while the fawns kind of come of age and they'll even eat on it. A lot of mammals will eat on it, but it's not great fodder, but a lot of different mammals eat it, including um, cattle. And it has seeds and those seeds are for songbirds. Songbirds love to, to munch on them. And it also provides the larval food for um, at least two native butterflies, and that's the California ringlet and the umber skipper. Um, also, I just, who was naming all these butterflies? And then also, um, ladybugs tend to overwinter in deegrass. And just in case you know what that term means, it just means that they'll spend the cold months of winter, um, nesting in the deegrass as a, as like a hearth, as a home, um, as a place to stay safe. So all this in mind, it's, it's pretty incredible that deegrass 
is so resilient and has become such a commonplace plant um, in urban renewals and xeriscaping is really, and that's, that's just when you're planting for low water usage. Um, and also since native gardening has kind of taken on, it's great that this plant is able to provide so much habitat for such a wide variety of wildlife without maybe that even being a tent of using it. It's just kind of a feature of this plant. And the fact that it's just so easy to grow and also the fact that it's, you know, I'm opinion, it's probably the best looking grass I can think of. Like California fescue, it's good. It's cool. Not, not, not what I'd go for. But deer grass is something that it just, it's just something about it. It's just, <laughs> I feel kind of silly, but it has kind of like je ne sais quoi quality about it. It has the cool name. Um, it has this wonderful color. It's got this great wispy shape. Um, and then the connection to it with mule deer, um, which I should say mule deer are um, native to California. There's two different types that will munch on it. Um, the California mule deer is in Southern California, and then the Columbia, the Columbia black-tailed deer is more in Northern California. And that brings to mind that since deer grass is found across the state, um, but it's actually more common to Southern California. And this brings up a really interesting point to the ethnobotanical um, lineage of this plant. Um, and there's a lot here. I'm not going to be able to go into all of it, but I want to mention that this plant does have, um, along with Toyon, probably one of the, the longest, um, or one of the longest lists of recorded uses by Native American tribes, um, not only in California, but in New Mexico, Arizona, and in other states where this plant is endemic. Um, one of the more interesting ones that I saw, and one that seems to be mentioned um, when you read some literature about this plant, and that's Sunni, um, they were a tribe in New Mexico, and I think along the Arizona border there, and they would use deer grass um, and ceremonial items they'd use as tribute for their gods. So with that in mind, um, Let's talk about some of the stuff that deer grass was used for here in California because it's, in my opinion, it's fascinating. Um, let's look specifically at the Loseno tribe, which was, which is a Spanish term for the tribe. And I'm, I can try to say, um, let's look specifically at a tribe here in California called the Luiseno, or also, and this is, I'm not going to say it very well, the Pio, the Piom Cowichum, um, that's an indigenous term for this tribe who resided in the coastal areas of Southern California, kind of near in between LA and San Diego. Um, so they use it for clothing, they use it for cooking tools, they use it for various containers. And they also made or used it for basketry. And now they're not the only tribe for this, um, but this was a tribe here in California that I could find and that have a connection to cultivating deer grass. And that's because specifically for their baskets, at least this is what I've read, it would take, and this is actually from the USDA, which I'm going to read something from them in just a little bit, that um, you would need a thousand flower stalks. They're needed to create coiled baskets. So can you imagine Southern California, specifically that stretch between San Diego and LA just being like a large ag agricultural landscape for deer grass and deer grass to be used for clothing and for baskets. And it's just fascinating to me because this plant now 
is being used for its efficiency in being a plant for urban landscapes, but it also has this history as being an, ag an agricultural plant and a plant that has deep connections to, to humans. And from the USDA, they even claim that this might even be uh, prehistoric cultivation, that there's a very long history here between Native Americans and cultivation of deer grass. Um, and with this, um, one of the ways in which they maintained and tended to the deer grass was with fire. Um, and actually on this, I'm going to read something from the USDA page on this. So here I go. To maintain the deer grass's vigor and reduce accumulated dead material, deer grass can be mowed or burned every several years. Um, many tribes historically and probably prehistorically enhanced deer grass regulations through firing deer grass stands in the fall in California every two to five years. Indian set fires increased flower stock yields, recycled nutrients, cleared away detritus, and promoted, promoted seedling production amidst a reduced competition from other plants. According to Native American elders, these fires maintained the bunch grasses in greater numbers than would have occurred under natural conditions. Knowledge of past indigenous fire management of deer grass has important implications for mountain meadow habitat management for wildlife, for wildlife and maintenance of grassland openings within shrublands, woodlands, and forests for preservation of indigenous cultural traditions. Some areas could be managed with the dual objective of indigenous harvesting of flower stalks and grazing after comb harvest. And a little interjection here, comb is the hollow stem of any grass um, or even a cereal plant, um, especially one that bears flowers. So that's more simply that, that flower stalk. So all this, I think deer grass is a really exciting and compelling investigation into the history of California. In it, we can see even the prehistoric touches of Native Americans on their connection with the land and the landscape with deer grass being a relatively early um, agricultural plant that was used for clothes and baskets. And with the plant, we can see a nexus of wildlife. We can see the mule deer and the two different types of it, that California mule deer and then the Columbia black-tailed. And then we can see how it provides so much habitat for um, ladybugs during the winter time provides food for different types of butterflies and even provides fodder for songbirds. And then fast forward to our modern urban cityscapes and increase into what are good drought tolerant plants and quandaries into features where temperatures may be incredibly high and in certain areas and you know what kind of plants can we can we grow and deer grass really is in a lot of ways an all-star for for that as well. So surprisingly, the unassuming deer grass, something I'm sure you all have passed by, um, maybe daily, um, depending on where you live. If you see a mounding, bunching grass, maybe in a median or next to a new office building or something similar, it's most likely deer grass. Um, and I hope when you see it now, you see it in a new light and think about its deep connections to California history um, and how it's been adapted to to modern California and how maybe even modern California has adapted the landscape and that you know you may be considered taking deer grass as a nickname. With that I will see you next time which will be the last episode of this season. I'll say more about that soon probably on social media um, but if you don't catch it there I will also give an update at the beginning of the next episode. So thank you for tuning in all this way. I really appreciate it. And I hope you have a good rest of your day. And I hope you have a good week. Take care.